right, well, good morning again, church. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Carson Valley Bible, just in case you're new or visiting this morning. And I would encourage you to grab a Bible and find your way to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be picking up in verse 42. That's in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. And that will be on page 911 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles around the room. Now, as you are finding your way there, let me remind you of something really quick. Um, as a church, we typically just walk through books of the Bible. Um, it's called expositional preaching, where you just kind of choose a book and we walk through it line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in order for us to fully understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. I think it's the best way for a church to learn its Bible, to learn who it points to. Uh, but there are times, uh, like this Sunday and our previous Sunday, where we take kind of specific moments and specific themes that we see in Scripture and try to draw them out. Um, but we are going to get back to expo- expositional preaching starting next week. Um, starting next Sunday, the 16th, we are going to begin walking through the book of Genesis, that very first book of the Bible. Now, if you—I love Genesis, so I'm really looking forward to getting into it, because Genesis sets the entire trajectory of who God is. In the very first lines of, of the Bible, when it says, "...in the beginning, God." And we'll walk through that a little bit more next week, but there's a reason why God starts his word about himself. And so if you are, maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself that, or maybe you just have really big questions on who God is and who you are, uh, Genesis is a great book to walk through. So I would encourage for you guys to just join us as we walk through that. But also, it might be a good opportunity to invite somebody that doesn't have a church or is asking those big questions about who God is to invite them to join us starting next week. But as I mentioned today, I want to do one more week kind of picking up where we left off last time about talking about resolutions Resolutions. Now, not in the, in the way that you're probably thinking. I'm not going to ask you about what your personal resolutions are for 2022. Last week we talked about what does God resolve to do in the Christian's life? What does God resolve to do through his word? What do we actually see Christians doing? What does it look like to actually be a Christian? And I mainly directed what that looks like individually for us. Individually. Now, but today, as you can see from the title is what does the church resolve to do? What does it look like for a church to commit to this year being a church? Has God designed certain conduits of grace where he actually allows that work of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week, to actually come into play? Is there conduits of grace in which God uses to glorify himself in? I think there are. And I think the church needs to be committed to those things. But then furthermore, I think the question we need to ask is, do we do that as a church? Does Carson Valley Bible Church, what we resolve to do this year, does actually line up then what the Bible actually says a church is resolved to do every year? My my goal and my hope is that we will see not only what the scripture says, what what a church should do in its following of God, but is that what we're doing? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And I think one of the best places for us to see that is in the book of Acts, where you see this kind of a, a clear picture of what the New Testament church looked like. How was it formed? 
right? How were those very first disciples of Christ, how did they actually build the church? What, what things did they believe were central to their identity of being believers in the risen Christ? What did that look like on a day-to-day basis? Or what did it look like for them to fulfill the very mission in which God had given them to go and make disciples? That's what we're going to try to look at today. But before I jump into the text, as always, I want to just take one more moment to pray. I want to pray for you, and I ask as I'm praying for you, will you pray for me? And then we'll jump into Acts chapter 2. Well, Father, I want to just begin with another moment expressing our dependency on you. That, God, we are a people who desperately need you. We need you to illuminate your own word for us for us to rightly see who you are and what you have done. God, we know that, that any ultimate understanding of what you have for us this morning comes through you. And God, we thank you for that. God, I, I, just, I ask that every single person in this room this morning would be able to, to understand who you are and what, even what the church has been designed to be. God, I also want to pray for our kiddos. As, as our teachers and our, our youngest little hearts in this building are being built up in this very thing, that even those three-year-olds, four-year-olds that we have in the room next door, as they are learning about the church, that God, that you would just create in them just this love for you and this love for what you have given us in what a church is meant to be. But God, we need you desperately in that. So all these things we ask according to your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, hopefully you guys have found your way there. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It should be on the screen as well. But let me go ahead and just read through verse 47 for us. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Okay. Before I get into just the the central component of what those verses just communicated to us, uh, it's helpful for us, because we're jumping into this book, to give a little bit of context of what is going on. Why are we reading this? Because in case you're not familiar, the book of Acts is called the book of Acts because it is a recording of the Acts of the Apostles. It's a historical narrative written to record those early years of the Apostles' apostles ministry. It's basically a, a historical narrative of how the New Testament church began. What happened after Jesus rose from the grave, ascended back to his throne, and sent the disciples out into the world, what did they do? That's what the book of Acts records. But I want to remind you that before Jesus ascended back to his throne, before Peter gave this sermon known as the Sermon at Pentecost, before all of that happened, Jesus actually gathered up his disciples and he gave them a mission. Do you remember this? 
It's often referred to as the Great Commission of what are disciples of Christ meant to do now. It's best recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Now let me go ahead and show you this on the screen. This is Jesus talking to his 11 disciples at this moment. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gave this mission to these apostles, to these disciples of Christ. And what was their mission? To go and make disciples. To go and make disciples and to baptize them in an understanding of who God is. And to teach them to observe all of what Jesus has taught the disciples at that moment. In church, this is our mission statement. That's not just a mission for those 11, but that's a mission that was given to every single Christian for all time. But what is important for us to notice then is when we look at that, that, that great commission is, well, then how did those 11 men interpret that? What things did they actually go and do in order to accomplish that mission that they gave us? How did they implement it into what we know as the church? Because Christianity is not a make it up as you go. It's not a hope you figure it out. Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, has actually given a very clear idea of what we are to do to glorify him, to know him, to build up one another. We're not having to fake it. We're not having to go, I guess we'll just do what seems to work best. We actually are given this in the word, church. That's what I want to show you today. That we're actually given those means to glorify him, to know him, to be a family of faith. And so as we look at Acts 2, I want to show you that our resolve is not new. Right? It's not, this is not just something that I just had a, a crazy wild dream about and said, I'm just going to ask people to join me in that. But this actually flows from the word of God, flows from what those early disciples implemented in, in responding and obeying that very great commission. Because as a church, what we want to do is we want to follow Jesus faithfully. And in order to do that, we have resolved to do four things, if you will. Four things that I believe that we see in the book of Acts. The four things, you will recognize them. They're, they're a part of our, what we call a discipleship chart. It's a big old poster out in, in the lobby by the Connect desk. Basically, four things that as a church we have resolved to do. And what are those four things? To be worshipers, to be in community, to be and make disciples, and to be in the world. And I believe those are the four things that we're not just making up, that actually we see in Acts 2. We see the early church committing to doing. And so that's what we're going to walk through today. But if you can, if you guys have Bibles, I don't have a verse on the screen for this, just go ahead and jump back up one verse to uh, verse 41. Where it says, So those who received this, his word, that being the sermon which Peter just preached, were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what had just happened? Peter, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, stood up and preached, basically, the first sermon after the resurrection. 
the first sermon preaching about exactly who Christ is and what he has done. And what we read is in that 3,000 people who heard that message were cut to the heart. And what did they do with their conviction about who God is, who they are, how much they actually needed Christ? Well, it says that they repented and were baptized. That they understood that Jesus was truly God and truly man. That he went to a Roman cross to die a sinner's death. That Jesus, to glorify God by subjecting himself to his perfect judgment, and through that death, people like you and I could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. And so they repented, meaning that they, they turned from this life of sin or this life of indifference, this life of trying to be smarter than God, and they turned back to him and said, I need you. I can't be God of my life. I'm not a good God. I want you to not only be my Savior, but also my Lord. And so they responded, 3,000 of them. And so very quickly, then the early church decided, hey, we got to do something. 3,000 people. We, we just became a making church overnight. But what are we going to do then? Because the great, they were under, remember, the Great Commission was not to go and make converts. Right? It was to go and make disciples. So they realized, as, as leaders in the church, they had to do something with the people who were responding to the gospel. And that's so Acts, what Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 records, is what they did. What did they do? And that's what we're going to walk through. So look at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is where they resolved to be worshipers of God. You see, these first Christians decided to commit themselves to learning about Christ to learning about what the apostles had learned from Christ, right? To learn about his death, to learn about his resurrection, to learn about how the entire Old Testament was pointing to this, this Messiah, and this Messiah was Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just a lecture. Notice that. It's not just some kind of theological, intellectual ascent that they were after. But it was preaching, See, the apostles, throughout the book of Acts, you'll see them going and planting churches, and planting churches through the means of preaching the gospel. They were committed to preaching the gospel. So to be a worshiper, then, is to actually seek out consistently good gospel doctrine. What does the Word of God teach us about who He is? What does the Word actually say? It wasn't just a, a seminary class, though. It was an exaltation of the word. And they did so together, it says. Notice the language that they use to describe this reality. They did so with the breaking of bread, which most scholars believe is a reference to the Lord's Supper or communion. And then also the prayers, really indicating what were they doing? They were gathering together for corporate worship. They were not just coming, trying to have this individual experience or this individual intellectual, you know, class, but they were coming to actually be the people of God. They were coming to worship together. They were coming together as a local church to grow in their knowledge of Him. Because here's the ultimate truth, and that is, you can't worship a God you don't know. And so they were committed to learning and to growing 
about who Christ is and what he has done. And the way that they saw that, the best way they saw that to do was to gather together as a local church. To gather as a local church. Listen, I know it's very popular today to, to bag on the local church or to basically say, you know what, we don't need Sunday I can find a better preacher online. I can listen to someone better. I can, I can connect there. And I don't need to actually commit to anything local. Right? I'm a part of the big C church. But here is my, my request for you this morning. Is as we look at the book of Acts, and we look at what they're doing together I think it's not too hard for us to come to the conclusion that they were committed to doing something together, not just what was easy, not just that was convenient, not just that um, upheld all of their own personal preferences. Because you need to be here on Sunday. You need to be part of a local church with local people that you actually know their names. Right? Not just a church online. Right? You need to be able to pray together. You need to be able to sing together. You need to be able to take the Lord's Supper together. That's what it means to be a church. And that's what they were committed to doing. Being a Christian was never intended to be an individual experience. Ultimately. I hope there's individuality within us, right? We're still people. Right? We're still individuals, but we're individuals coming together as a family, as a people. Now, I'm not saying that, hear me on this, I'm not saying that you won't be providentially hindered at times from gathering with people, right? You will get sick. That's okay. You will go on vacations. I want you to go on vacations. But there is a major difference, if I may. There's a major difference between missing a gathering and neglecting a gathering. I think we all, if we're honest, we know that. There's a, there's a difference between missing a gathering and neglecting a gathering. And what we see here in Acts 2, church, is they are devoted to this. Right? They're devoted to this. It means that it takes intentionality. I was even talking to someone uh, just the other day about how crazy Sunday mornings can be. Right? And you all could say amen to that. Right? Everything seems to go wrong on Sunday morning. That's why going to church on Sunday morning for us is usually a Saturday night decision where you are devoting yourself going, I know things are going to go wrong, right? I know my kids are going to go crazy for some reason. I know that, like Levi, last night, my three-year-old son, he was dreaming about boxing me. I can assure you of that. And the reason I know that is because he was punching me all night long for no reason, Or at least not a reason he's told me yet. And it's easy to go, I'm tired. It's easy to go, maybe next week. But church, let me encourage you that being a part of a local church is difficult. And we have a real enemy who wants to stop us from doing that. So we must be devoted to this. It's not going to come easy. It certainly will never come easy. Oftentimes when someone comes into my office or I meet someone at the coffee shop during the week and uh, they're exploring really the claims of Christianity or maybe they're just new to the faith or trying to, they're asking me like, so what does it look like for me to actually mature or to grow in my faith? And the, the number one reason that I, I give them 
or at least the first step I encourage them to is to belong to a church. It's just what, it's the way in which God has given us a means to grow and to know him. One of the greatest gifts that every believer has been given to participate in if they are able to. You know, I talk to people all the time, you know, since COVID um, has happened, we've had a number of members of this church who, uh, for different reasons, haven't been able to return to corporate worship. They are missing the gathering, but it is killing them inside. I sit with them, and I talk to them about what's going on in the church. And, and they just miss it. They miss being here. They wish they could be here. They're not neglecting it. There's just providential ways that they can't be with us right now. But they know, just in, in the depths of who they are, that they were created to be with other people. And we're praying for them. We're praying that they'd be able to return. That circumstances would be able to change in their life where they could join us once again. But let's not neglect meeting together, church, in a corporate way. But I also believe here in this passage, we don't see corporate worship as the only means or only resolve that they were committed to. If you look at verse 44, you will see that they had, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is point number two, that the church is resolved then to be in community, to be resolved to be, resolved to be in community. They knew each other. It says in verse 45 that they were actually going to radical lengths to meet each other's needs at times. But the only way they could do that is if they actually knew what was going on in each other's lives. Remember, 3,000 people got saved. How in the world did they actually know what was going on in each other's lives? Right? There was no emailing. Right? There was no group messaging. Which, that would be a crazy group message. Can you remember? Imagine that. So how did they know this? How do they know this about each other? Well, obviously, they were meeting together in their homes. They were breaking up into smaller groups to know about what is going on in their lives. What is God doing? What is he challenging them? Where are the ways in which their brothers and sisters in faith can come alongside them and saying, I can help with this? For us as a church, we have determined to do that in a couple of different ways. Right? We have different smaller groups and it's our way of resolving to be in community. And I want to just remind you of those. Right? That we offer Bible studies here at the church. Ken mentioned that in, in his announcements. That we have Bible studies that meet here at the church. That usually go through different studies that are, are intended to grow your faith in an understanding of what the Bible teaches, but also an understanding of how to live that out. We also have community groups. These are groups that meet in each other's homes often share a meal. We discuss the, the passage or the sermon that was preached the week prior, allowing ourselves to, to ask the questions that need to be asked or to be able to apply it in deeper ways, going, if I actually believe that, if I actually believe what this said, well, how would my life look different? Those community groups allow sometimes those places to come together. We also periodically offer foundation classes. Now, these are more attuned to like a, a Sunday school format, more of a classroom style, where it's myself or another leader where we're teaching things like systematic theology, biblical theology, or spiritual disciplines, right? And these are, these are um, 
classes that you signed up for like six or eight weeks to just grow in a specific area that you have interest in or you feel God is challenging you to grow in. But all of these are intended for us as a church to resolve to be in community. Because even in a church like ours, a small church like our church, it is easy for you to come and go and never be known, never be prayed for, never have anybody really know your story. And, and hear me on this. I'm, I'm happy that uh, Sunday can be a great way for you to learn about who God is. It's a great uh, first step to growing in your faith. I, I encourage that as your first step more than anything else, is start going to church. But here is my prayer as a pastor here, is I don't want Sunday to be your only step in what it looks like to follow Christ. We have been given other means. We are resolving not just to learn, but also to be in community, to be known by others, to grow with others. And I know it can be scary to join a group. I've been there. I think many of us have been there. My, my first community group was when I recently became a Christian at 19 years old. And, and I had a pastor come up to me and say, hey, why don't you join a community group? Why don't you learn to, to, to grow with us? It's a great way for you to learn about your new faith, to learn about the Bible. And I had every excuse in the book, church. I, could, I, could, I was busy. I was involved in things. It wasn't like I was misleading. But I would make up every single excuse. And then one Sunday, the pastor came up to me and says, hey, Luke, guess what? I'm starting a new group. I want you to be a part of it. I'm like, oh, God, you know, I just, what day is it? And he's like, it's Thursdays. I'm like, oh, man, Thursdays is a busy day for me. I can't do it. He's like, well, it's at 6 a.m. What are you doing at 6 a.m.? I'm like, uh, sleeping? <laughs> he goes, perfect, so you're available. That was my first community group. And I'm so glad that I went there. I'm so glad that I really took that leap of faith, which it was. It's, it's a leap of faith in a lot of ways. And I think many in this room, uh, if we were to go around, would have a similar testimony saying, I didn't want to be a part of a group. I kind of wanted to do my own thing. But yet, God has used these smaller groups to impact me greatly, to which I will never go back. Now, point number three. The church is also resolved to be a disciple and to make disciples. Look back at verse 46, if you could. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what I want you to notice is they were attending the temple day by day together. Now, there's some cultural appropriations there, right? The temple was this, this hub of community, right? It was this hub of, of commerce. It was where everybody went, basically, to do everything. Now, we don't really have something similar to like that here in the Carson Valley. But I think what we see in principle is that through the community that they were committed to doing, out came relationships with one another. That they were committed to actually helping and to walk with each other on a day-to-day -day basis. That they were committed to foster e into each other's lives the fruit of actually walking with Christ, of, of being a Christian, of wanting to know Him. Because the great mistake that I know about, 
and I've seen time and time over, and I think we've all bought into this at some point in our lives, when we think about that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, we think of, who does that actually belong to? Well, that, that belongs to the pastor, all right? or that belongs to the small group leaders. To be a, to be a disciple maker, that's not me. That's not what I'm called to do. But that is what every single person is called to do in some way, is to commit, and we use the language around here, is to commit to following Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to be a follower. But then also to help somebody else follow Jesus as well. Let me show you this from Ephesians 4, because Paul dealt with the same kind of misunderstanding that many of us do is that the job of ministry is really for those paid professionals, not the everyday Christian. This is what he says in Ephesians 4. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So although leaders, right, everybody is given unique gifts in the church, and those unique gifts are are to be used in the church, right, the gift of, of teaching, right, or to be an evangelist, to be a pastor. They are intended to do what? To build up the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Saints are Christians. So my job then is to preach gospel doctrine to you. To build you up. To enable every member of this church to do the work of ministry. And what is the work of ministry according to Jesus? To go and make disciples, to teach people about who God is, to walk with them, to not only follow Jesus themselves, but also to help others do the same. But how do we usually approach this? How do we approach this this idea of discipleship? I think we approach it like a, a travel agent or a blog. And here's what I mean by that. Is we have somebody come to us and say, hey, I want... I want to grow in my faith, or I'm a Christian. And you go, awesome, good news, praise God for that. Here are all the things that you can go do. I want you to go do this, this will be really great. I want you to read this, it'll be really great, it'll be really helpful for you. And you basically just give them a whole bunch of information like a blog, but you have no intentionality to actually walk with them as they learn that. You see, being a disciple maker, or being a disciple is not to be like a travel agent or just to write a blog. It's more of a travel guide. Someone who goes with you. Someone who says, I am not only going to tell you about what it looks like to follow Christ, but I want to walk with you as you do that. And so as a church, we want to be resolved not just to give good information, but also to walk with people as they learn, discover, and apply it in their lives. Because the truth is, it's easy to point people to good gospel doctrine. In our day and age, with the technology that we have, uh, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's pretty easy to direct people to really good gospel doctrine. It's easy to do that. We should do that. I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing to do. But if the only thing you do is ever point people to good gospel doctrine, but then you never explain to them how that doctrine will actually impact their lives, it will never lead to a gospel culture. It will never lead to how we actually understand how the truth that God is sovereign and He's good and He gives grace to work out in our day-to-day lives. We need both. 
Because our culture, how we actually live out what we believe, really showcases how we, what we actually believe. As I've, I've said before, it's one thing to preach about grace. It's one thing to preach that we are saved completely through the person and work of Christ. It has nothing to do with us. But then if I'm out in the hallway saying, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to do this. I'm completely invalidating what I've said from the pulpit. So we need both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And the only way that gospel culture happens is if we're around each other. And so we need to resolve to be doing that with one another. Now let me, let me tell you how this might work. Because for some, this could come through informal relationships. Informal relationships, I mean like when you just have friends in the church that you are meeting up with. Maybe you're grabbing coffee or drinks. Maybe you're reading a book together. Right? You're doing things together. And as you do those things together, you are benefiting from each other's wisdom. You're benefiting from, from maybe the path that they've walked before you and them able to be poured into your life like a mentor. Those are great and needed relationships. So there's informal ways that, I know many of you are doing that in this church, but there's also a formal way that we want to do that as a church. And we do that from under the clever name of discipleship groups. These are gender-specific groups that, so like a men's discipleship group, a women's discipleship group, where right now what those look like is we're actually just committed to reading the Bible together. We're doing the same Bible reading plan. And then we're meeting up um, on a regular basis to discuss what are we learning through God's Word. What are the things in which Jesus has instructed his followers to be and to understand and to work out, where we meet up together to really flesh that out. Help each other, encourage each other, to exhort each other if needed. Now these are new for us as a church, this, this formal discipleship group, but I can tell you already that God is using them mightily in my own life. I've never read through the Bible together with other, another group of men. And I am benefiting and gleaning so much from how God is using his word in their lives. It's a big commitment, but so far... It's one of the greatest commitments I've ever made. And by God's grace, I hope that we'll be launching more of those. We're hoping to be launching every single one of these groups more. Right? So every single person in this church, no matter their schedule, right, no matter their ability to wake up early or stay up late, that there is a place for them to be in community, to learn and to grow with those that call this church home. We as a church have resolved to not just say, the Great Commission is for the super-Christians out there, but for every single one of us. Now, last point, point number four. The church has resolved also to be in the world, in the world. Go ahead and look back at verse 47. Let me show you where I see this. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people, all the people. So they were in the world. Because how in the world, then, could they have, be praising God, <clears throat> excuse me, and have favor with all the people if they were not in the world, if they were not in the communities in which they lived in? Because here's what they did not do, right? When the 3,000 people got saved, plus the 120 that were, were basically the committed Christians going into Pentecost, you know what they did not do, church? Is they did not round up all of their money 
go outside of Jerusalem, buy a piece of property, and create a monastery or a retreat to spend the rest of their days in isolation and in comfort away from a sinful, fallen world. They did not do that. And they did not do that because they were resolved to be in the world. But rather to be in the world. Now, having favor with all people doesn't mean that they were liked by everybody. If you just keep reading in the book of Acts, you'll find out very quickly how much they were hated by many people, especially the religious elite. So it's not mean having favor with all people means that you get everybody to like you, but it means you have favor with all people because they know that you are committed to being in the community in which you guys both live in. And so these early Christians... They took this radical grace, this radical identity in which they had been given by Christ, and they went into the world in which they lived in. As faithful ambassadors of the grace in which they had experienced. And by the way, and there was massive results of that in the first century. Massive results that we even see basically the the continuation of that and how just the Western world thinks today. There's a modern historian who's, he's been tracking this. He just wrote a, a very lengthy uh, book, I believe it's called um, The Shaping of the Western Mind. Um, and his name is Tom Holland. He's an historian. Now, I don't know if any of you guys you also know this. It's not the Tom Holland, like Spider-Man Tom Holland. It's another British guy, but it's not Spider-Man. That would be pretty cool, but it's not him. Okay, it's a different guy. But this is what he says. And by the way, he's not a confessing Christian at all. But he records in, in his basically his study and in his research that Christianity, above anything else, has had the most influence on how the world thinks than any other religion that's ever been recorded or studied. And here's what he points to as proof of that. Is that Christians were the ones who started, were the first people in the first century to start giving dignity and value to women and children unlike any other group in the history of the world had. The first group that said that women were people, not just objects or property. We, we take that and go, yeah, of course that's the case. Christians were the ones that were pushing that idea first into the Western world. Or the idea that those in society who maybe had deformities, maybe who were not perfect, maybe that didn't have a, a social gift in order to benefit the society, that they didn't deserve to die, such as the elderly or the disabled. It was Christians saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to cast them into a valley of death, but we're actually going to honor them as people, honor them as image bearers, because the Word of God teaches us that they're actually made in the image of God, so they have value and dignity just for being alive. Christians were the first ones to press that forward. And it was also those first Christians who were the first to say that it's not you getting your life together which will make God happy with you. It's not you climbing the right ladder which God will finally be satisfied in you and maybe offer salvation. It was Christians who were saying that God has come to live the life that you could not live and he died the death you deserved and that salvation does not belong to those who have intellectual power or intellectual abilities to read or write, but it's available to anybody 
who would believe and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the reason why the Western world thinks the way it does today, church, is because Christians were committed and resolved to be in the world in which God had placed them. And if I could, let me pull up one more scripture for us out of John 17, 18. This is actually where Jesus instructs the disciples to do this. In recording of a, what's called the high priestly prayer that the disciples were able to listen in on. They knew that they were called to this because of what Jesus says here. It says, Jesus is speaking to God the Father at this moment. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's talking about us. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, what Jesus was, was praying to God the Father and allowing the disciples to understand is to be in the world as the means in which God has given the world to come to an understanding of who he is. It's through people. It's through us committed to being in the places where God has placed us. Meaning, the job that you work is not by accident. The home that you live in is not by accident. The community that you live in is not by accident. The hobbies that you have are not by accident. Right? Those organizations that you are a part of are not by accident, church. But they are the means which God has said, in your life, I want you to resolve to being in those places and be faithfully present as an ambassador of me. This doesn't mean that you go into every social gathering and you try to, you know, beat people over the head with the Bible. It means you go in as a person, being changed by the person and work of Christ, and you're faithfully present there, and I can assure you, God will use those relationships and that commitment to be in the world for his glory. He's promised to do so. Now, those are the four resolves, if you will, that I see from the book of Acts, the four resolves as a church that we want to commit ourselves to. But in the end, those resolves count on one primary power. And what is that? Look at the end of verse 47. Where it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's not a magic formula that if we just do these things then the church will grow, or then we'll see people become Christians. No, it's still the Lord added to their number day by day. We're still dependent on Him to work. We're still dependent on Him to change hearts and to change lives. We just want to be committed to the things that we believe that God has challenged us to be committed to, and we want to do so faithfully. And so that's what we're going to commit to this year. Right, if you're a member of this church, or maybe you're just investigating, trying to learn about who we are, that's who we are. That's what we want to do. That's what we believe means to be a Bible church, not a church that has come up with its own unique, cool, fancy way of doing things, but simply to be faithful to those, those areas where God has instructed us to be faithful in. And at, at the end of the day, church, I don't know, maybe this is just me, I don't want to read the book of Acts and go, that's super cool. That looks nothing like my life. 
or when I see the individuals in the book of Acts, and, and this doesn't mean that we all have to, to replicate everything that happened, but I think in principle what we see is men and women who had been changed by the gospel saying, I want to leverage my life for as long as God gives it to me for his purposes and his glory, because I know when I do that, there's going to be a whole lot of joy coming my way. Because there's no other better plan to be on. Right? I'm tired of this temptation that I have to, to achieve the American dream and just sprinkle Jesus on top of it. I don't want to do that. I want to see what we see here in the book of Acts and go, I want to be committed to that. I want to be a Christian. And I'm praying that God will allow me and allow us as a church to resolve under his power, right, his authority, his gifting, to resolve to be worshipers, resolve to be in community, resolve to be and make disciples, and resolve to be in the world. That's what I want. All right, I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will respond in a couple different ways. Well, Father, I thank you. I thank you that as, as someone that, for your own reason, has gathered a people that did not deserve you, did not earn anything from you, but yet here we are under your banner of grace, wanting to, to live our lives to your glory alone. And God, we need help in that. God, it's easy for any church, including ours, to, to focus in on a lot of different things. And God, we have a lot of really good things that we want to do as a church, but I want it all to come out of what the church, those early Christians, devoted themselves to, because I believe that that is not just descriptive of what the era church was like, but also prescriptive. This is something that, God, you have given all believers through all time, through all history, to be devoted to until your return. So help us do that. Lord, it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.